Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to South Texas Stories, the podcast dedicated to both sharing and preserving community history of South Texas and the Texas coast. My name is Zachary Solano, and I'll be your host this afternoon. They often say, a good lawyer knows the law, and a great lawyer knows the judge. Joining me today is a dear friend of mine, Judge Robert Pate. Since moving down to Corpus in the fall of 2017, I've come to know Robert through a variety of endeavors, whether that just be the university or our involvement in Young Life. Seemingly, every time I see Robert, he's got a new story to tell me, whether that's about one of his kids, his past, or something new he's got under his wing. Today, I seek to show you the world through his eyes. As the friend who has constantly been called an old man for most of his youth, meeting Robert has reminded me of one thing. Youth is wasted on the young. Beneath his 5'9 frame and hiding behind his dark, thick-rimmed glasses, you see a man with the suave of Sinatra, the charm of Martin, and the seriousness of Cronkite. Between the aforementioned stories to the occasional run-ins, the lessons learned from Robert best surmised by a Jimmy Buffett song, Die while I'm living, then live while I'm dead. And though the days grow more complicated, the nightlife still wins. I take classes at Texas A&M Corpus Christi also <laughs> since uh, yes. 2012, which is where you and I met. Well, my name is Robert Pate. I'm 69 years old. I was born and raised in Corpus Christi through about the seventh grade, and then my dad was transferred in succession to Houston, spent a couple of years there, and then to Denver, Colorado. I actually graduated from, from uh, high school in Denver, Colorado. I attended Colorado State University for one year, and then I transferred to the University of Texas at Austin. I received an uh, undergraduate degree uh, in, from the uh, University of Texas at Austin, and I have a master's degree from the University of Texas Graduate School of Business in Accounting, and they call it the Master of Public Accounting degree. I'm a CPA, a certified public accountant. I practiced certified public accounting for about a year, and then I went back to law school. Went to Southern Methodist University, SMU Law School. Graduated in 1978 from law school and moved back down to uh, Corpus Christi in 1978. And went to work with a firm called uh, Stone, Berryman & Giles. About a year later, uh, I uh, formed a law firm with my uh, uh, one of my best friends growing up, a guy by the name of Larry Adams, and the name of the firm was Giles, Adams, and Pate, and uh, I was, we did that for a while, and then eventually I went out on my own, and so I've been out on my own most of my legal career. In 1995, I was appointed as the presiding judge of the 28th District Court here by Governor Bush, I stood election in the 96 election as a Republican running for this district court bench. There were no Republicans elected in Nueces County at the time. I got beat by an individual who had failed the bar exam twice, but that didn't seem to matter to the voters in Nueces County. Uh, I left uh, uh, at the end of 1996, December 31st, 1996 was my last day on the bench started doing my law practice again, and then in early 1998, uh, Governor Bush called me and asked me if I would accept a second appointment when Judge Hilda Togley, one of our local district judges and a friend of mine, was elevated to the federal bench by President Clinton. I told him I would, so I took a second appointment from Governor Bush and became the presiding judge of the 148th District Court. 
and stood election in 1998. Uh, that year, Governor Bush was on the ballot for re-election as governor. And uh, what I learned is a loss is a loss in uh, in Texas or in politics because I lost by way fewer than uh, a thousand votes, but uh, a loss nonetheless. And that's when Bush carried Nueces County. And uh, however, because I'd been twice appointed by the governor, uh, I had enjoyed the status of a, uh, under the law, uh, if a person was twice appointed by the governor, then they had the status of a visiting judge. And I could serve Texas as a visiting judge, which I continued to do. And I've pretty much served as a judge as every, in every county south of here. I mean, Clayburg County, Willacy County, Cameron County, Hidalgo County, Starr County, Maverick County. Uh, and I've really enjoyed that because, as you know, Zach, I fly my own airplane. <laughs> and I would fly down. I'd be able to fly to these courts and uh, spend a day being a, you know, a king for a day. And then I'd turn around and fly home and did that. I'm just unloading you here since you asked me the question. Yeah. I've also been involved over the years in oil and gas investments. Got a little oil company with a buddy of mine out of uh, Kansas, and we've got some things we're doing. Uh, I office with some clients of mine that are successful real estate developers. In fact, we built over the last several years, we built a 224 a unit apartment complex over in Portland, Texas, and we actually just sold it the day before yesterday. So we uh, we sold that property, and now we're out looking to buy something else to go develop something else. But I've got uh, clients that own shopping centers and other developments, and uh, and I'm active in, in real estate development with them. When I first arrived in Corpus Christi for my freshman year in 2017, I had no idea what to expect. All I knew was that the city centered around Selena and the Lexington. As I've come to be here these past four years, I've seen a lot, heard a lot, and read a lot about the identity, the people, the culture, and the overall significance of this sparkling city by the sea. Being a native Texan, we typically wear our hearts on our sleeves and ultimately seek to find and experience how other Texans identify with Texas. For the most part, that means owning a pair of boots and jeans, whether living in the flatlands of the Panhandle or the beaches of the coast. There are some ubiquitous things that define us and separate us as well, whether that be our methods for the perfect brisket or whether the Dallas Cowboys truly are America's team. The eternal image of Texas is the cowboy, so much a staple that every Texan maintains some aspect of that culture within our closets or in our mannerisms. Coming across an article in Texas Monthly, it introduced me to a new type of cowboy, and this was the history of the Cowboys of the Gulf, an introduction to Texas surfing. You know, when I think surfing, I don't think about Texas, I think about Hawaii, even California. As a historian, I've often seen the connection to history on a personal level appear way later in life. No one, no one person immediately recognizes the connection they have to a moment in time, unless accompanied by some form of monumental change, some force for good, or even some force for evil. Occasionally, that's a newspaper in a grandparent's attic, a photo of a long-lost relative, or the stories that we've heard a thousand times. In this next clip, Robert discusses his connection to the Cowboys of the Gulf and the surfing scene of the Gulf Coast, and how his wife Linda, a member of surfing royalty, is responsible for the growth and introduction to this latest iteration of Texas culture. He refers to my wife and her brother and her father. They're surfing royalty in South Texas because Linda's father bought a bunch of surfboards and, and brought them back to Corpus Christi, and her brother Larry opened up a surf stand here in Corpus, and he was actually the first surfboard rental place in Corpus Christi, and he expanded to have surfboard rentals uh, up 
in Freeport and then south down in uh, South Padre Island. And uh, he financed his entire college education with a surfboard rental business that he basically ran in the spring and summertime. And they would get Beach Boy, they called him Beach Boys, they'd get other kids to run him when he wasn't here, when he was off at school and when he got back. And that was one of the problems I had with my wife, frankly. Uh, I used to think it was really great, you know, I'd come home with my paycheck, whatever it was, and say, oh, look at this money. And Linda, she used to laugh and say, oh, what I remember is uh, payday was when Larry would come on on Sunday after running the routes to pick up the money from all the surfboard rentals, and there'd be a big pile of money on the bed. Now, that was all wet money, wet dollar bills and $5 bills, but we had to sort it all out and clean it off and everything so we could go deposit in the bank. She said, now, that was a payday. Previously mentioned, Texans seek to define themselves against everyone and everything, yet bond over the idea of being Texan. Keeping in mind, Texan surfers often put themselves out there in conditions that others would scoff at. Looking at you, Californians. From Larry Law sparking the scene in the 1960s to James Fulbright of Galveston, Texas, beginning the movement that became tanker surfing. You're surfing in the wake of a tanker ship. A ubiquitous sight both coming and going out of Corpus Christi Bay and Galveston Bay. Texas itself is an image captured by writers such as John Graves in his book Goodbye to a River, or even the photographs of Wyman Miser, the state photographer. Texas and nature go hand in hand, much like the image of the cowboy out on the open range on horseback or on foot. The stories of, the, of individuals getting out to the coastline and getting on their boards encompass magazines, history books, and forums as far as the eyes care to look. For Texas, surfing is not simply an idea, it's a way of life for some. Robert is an individual who has moved around the great Lone Star State for most of his adult life, settling back down in Corpus in 1978, as he mentions earlier. Over the course of his life, he met individuals such as Charlie Wilson, the Texas congressman who was known for his office antics and his role in defeating the Soviets in Afghanistan and providing aid to the Mujahideen. To former President George W. Bush, who he met through an oil deal, and with the idea of growth being at the forefront of my mind, I asked him, what was next for Corpus and where does he see this going? Uh, you know, we, we're we are now primarily a Hispanic, I mean, we're a Hispanic minor, uh, majority city. I think on balance, I think Corpus, we all get along pretty well in Corpus. We have a relatively, we have a small, but I think relatively highly educated black community. Uh, we're almost, I think, a model for other cities. We have, we have Anglos elected, we have Hispanics elected, we have Republicans elected, we have Democrats elected. Uh, we've had uh, black office holders countywide before. We've had, I mean, Carl Lewis, the county attorney, was. Uh, Black, uh, we've had city council members, uh, Hispanic, Black, Anglo. I mean, you know, so I, Corpus gets along. I mean, that's one thing that I like about it. I mean, we don't, I mean, there's, we got problems. I mean, we have disparities and we got, you know, Ocean Drive looks like a goddamn ranch road. I mean, <laughs> it is rough. Rides what? But, like but too. We, we have issues. And uh, uh, 
but you know, Corpus for the last 20 or 30 years, we've been very lucky. The oil business has been great to us. The port business has been great to us. The tourist business has been great to this whole entire area. Um, uh, we, we've had the establishment of Texas A&M Corpus Christi as a four-year university in the last 25 years or yeah. whenever that's been, you know. So we've had a lot of great things that have happened. So I think, I think on whole, it's been a very good thing. But the interesting thing to think about, though, I mean, when you think about how much has happened since 1978 in terms of growth in Texas, when we moved back to Corpus Christi after uh, law school and after Dallas, after uh, uh, I graduated from law school, we, Linda and I moved back there. Corpus Christi's population was around 350,000. That was the population of Austin. I mean, Austin's, you know, a million and a half now, whatever it is, and, and it's almost solid people, Austin, all the way to San Antonio. And Corpus, on the other hand, we've gone up maybe 360,000. I mean, we're we're, we're kind of in that same, you know, deal. A city is only as good as the people within it and as interesting as the people within it. Corpus Christi is a city I've come to know and love during my four years here. It has the potential to be where I raise my family and live out a significant portion of my life. I'll always be thankful for my time in the sparkling city by the sea. Despite the misgivings of coronavirus, Corpus is a city that doesn't seem to have been hampered or even slowed down on the road to progress. In fact, it seems as if more is getting done and that this lull is exactly what the city needed to get ahead. And as Robert claims that there have been years of the notion that Corpus is on the verge of growth, whether that be through private investors such as Robert and his developments taking place in Port Aransas or the university expanding and becoming a more prevalent part of the city. The biggest takeaway from my time here in Corpus is that th there are interesting tidbits wherever you look in your hometown or whatever place you're presently calling home. Mine took the form of a five foot nine elderly gentleman who hid behind dark thick rimmed glasses who could somehow always tell me a story. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Zachary Solano and this has been South Texas Stories. <laughs>